Well, good morning. It is great to be with you and to worship with you this morning. My name is Corey, and I serve as the teaching pastor for our, our Plain City campus. And this November, my wife and I are coming up on our 19th wedding anniversary. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm married up, and if I've tricked her this long, then I'm sure she's got to stay with me from here on out, right? Well, we're coming up on, on 19 years, like I said, and when we were first married, we were learning, like, like many young couples, how to live under the same roof. We were learning each other's habits and each other's rhythms, and, and I would like to say that we had it all down and all figured out, but that would not be the truth. When we first got married, we fought, and, and we argued, okay, and I'm Italian, so that's, that's bad news, because that means when us Italians fight, the way we argue and do all that stuff is it means we just get louder, we get more dominant, we interrupt you more often, and we're just seeking how do we win the argument, even if we're, we're wrong, right? Not the best approach for a young marriage or any marriage, even 19 years in, okay? But thankfully, we had a Christian couple who was further down the road than us, who was pouring into our lives. And, and one of the things they mentored us on was what to do when these arguments came up. And they gave us lots of great advice, but probably the toughest and the best advice that, that they gave us was this. It was, hey, when, when you kind of, that argument is kind of simmering out and it's getting ready to be done and everybody's said their piece, right? Here's what you're gonna close with. You close that argument with looking at each other and saying, what did you just learn about me through our argument, right? For example, Kelly would look at me and say, Corey, what did you learn about me as we're wrapping up this argument? And, and through gritted teeth and an overinflated ego and all my pride, I would go, I learned that when I get loud and yell, it hurts your feelings. It makes you feel terrible. It makes you kind of feel worthless and it doesn't do any help in communicating my point. And those moments, as difficult as they were, were unbelievably humbling and, and they were so good for our, our marriage. And now some of you may be thinking, I've got some more questions to ask you about how you navigated through, through those times together. And if you're like me, I would probably nudge somebody next to me and go, I'm not going to ask the question. You ask the question. Well, that's great because today we're beginning this new series called Asking for a Friend. And in this series, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and chapter 7, and we're going to get relational insight into how we believe correctly and how we treat one another carefully. In doing so, we're going to address some of the things that we're all thinking, but no one really wants to ask. And as we do so, we're going to bump into what culture says and how it's affected us. We're going to bump into our upbringing. We're going to, we're going to even bump into our personal experiences with the things that we think are right and the things that we feel are right. However, like we always want to do, we want to always go back to what we're thinking and what we're feeling and bounce it off and base it off the foundation of God's word. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the scriptures through this series that helps us address some of life's toughest questions. In fact, that's our big idea for this series, that we believe that God offers us answers to life's toughest questions. That we believe God offers us answers to life's toughest questions. And the question we're going to ask and look at today 
is this. If Christians are to be so different than everybody else in the world, then why are Christians always fighting with each other? Why are Christians always fighting with each other? And like I just shared with you, for Kelly and I, right, we were Christians, we were married, and we fought, right? It's inescapable. Part of life is going to be disagreements. Part of life is going to be arguments. Part of life is going to be fighting with one another. The kids fight, teens fight, adults fight, married couples fight, friends fight. It's part of us living in a sinful world. But as we're going to see today, this church in Corinth, well, they had no shortage of unhealthy conflicts amongst themselves. And so if you have your Bible or your Bible app, why don't you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 today. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and as you're turning there, here's just a bit of background on 1 Corinthians. It's written by the Apostle Paul. And way back in Acts chapter 18, the Apostle Paul was on a missionary journey, and he finds himself in Corinth. And he shares the gospel, the good news of Jesus with these people in Corinth. And a lot of people put their faith and trust in Jesus. And so Paul helps them start a church. And he spends a year and a half with them to just kind of get up on their feet and get healthy and get going. And once they're they're doing well, Paul leaves to go do the same in another town. However, after being gone for a while... Paul starts to hear some troubling reports about this once healthy church. And he actually gets a letter from, from the church in Corinth. They write him regarding some, sev- some several concerns that they have, and they want advice how to handle them and to, to walk through them. Now, these troubling concerns, they revolve around a multitude of, of issues from socioeconomic factors to sexual immorality to, to the view of sex even in marriage to Christians taking each other to court and, and more. And so Paul writes a letter back to them, and that's where we get 1 Corinthians from, and he begins to address issue after issue that they've written to him about. So let's begin in verse 1 and see what Paul is dealing with today. It says this, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? Verse four, so if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Verse seven, to have lawsuits at all with with one another is already a defeat for you, he says. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. So let's get a little bit of context for what we we just read here. Context is this. Things have gotten so bad between Christians in the Corinth church that Christians are taking other Christians to court here. Now, it's important to note as we walk through these verses today that Paul is addressing civil cases. He's addressing the civil court, relational issues, business deals gone gone bad, money that's been loaned out, property lines, like relational, personal issues between one another. This is not Paul addressing criminal cases. He's not addressing murder or abuse or, or theft in these. And as he does so, what he's got in mind is he's got in mind the court system at this time. And the court system at this time is unbelievably corrupt. 
that bribes would be taken to alter court cases, that the rich were always favored over the poor. And regardless of the facts that were on the table, if you had a higher social standing than the person you were going against, the person with the higher social standing always won. What you see is that justice and truth was really last on, on the list. And on top of that, if you had to go to court, it was going to be done in the open air. It was going to be done in the middle of the town, by the marketplace, where everyone and anyone could hear your case, can hear your dirty laundry, can hear the issues you have with one another. It could, you'd hear the grievances between the two parties out loud. It'd be crazy. It'd be like if you and I had an issue, we'd be like, hey, let's meet in downtown Plain City uh, during the farmer's market or on the, the busiest day of the week, or, or let's go downtown Columbus on the busiest day of the week, and let's just have a trial for everyone to watch and for everyone to see and for, for everyone to, to hear, right? This is the context of, of the social climate that Paul was, was writing in at this time. Not only that, but Paul had already told these Christians in, in Corinth, hey, there should be no divisions among you. You should be of the, the same mind and the same judgment with one another, that you no longer have the spirit of the world in you, but you have the, the Holy Spirit in you. And, and because you have God's spirit in you, you have wisdom that goes beyond the world's wisdom. And Paul didn't just tell them this. He modeled it for them for a year and a half when he, when he lived with them. And so with that in mind, Paul begins to address this conflict in verse 1, and he says, When one of you has, has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Now, I love Paul here because I find great hope with the very first word he uses in the sentence. He says, when. He says, when one of you has a grievance. He doesn't say if you have a grievance. He says, when you, you have a grievance, right? This lets us know that Christians are not perfect, that issues and conflicts are, are gonna come. It doesn't mean that, hey, once you're a Christian, you're never gonna argue, you're never gonna yell, you're never gonna disagree, and you're never gonna be frustrated, especially with, with other Christians. Because at some point, every human being has conflict with every other human being. Siblings, spouses, best friends, roommates, teammates, classmates, neighbors, even that young dating couple that we see early on, they're like, I love you more. No, I love you more. No, I love you more. And then it's the old, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. At some point, they're going to look at each other and go, what is your problem, right? It's coming. So if that's you today, man, God bless you for where you're at in your relationship. There's going to be a grievance coming at some point, right? Well, here in, in verse 1, Things have gotten so bad between two Christians that they actually go to court to settle their dispute. And Paul says at the end of verse 1, he says, how dare you, right? That, he says, how dare you? How dare you go take your, your legal matters to the corrupt courts of non-Christians instead of your brothers and sisters in, in Christ? And, and Paul, in, in saying this, he uses the word unrighteous, and the way he uses the word unrighteous here, he uses it in a spiritual sense, not a moral sense. He uses it in the sense of not being justified before God, right? Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, hey, these Christians in Corinth are, are, are now part of God's family. They're God's people. And the legal disputes that they're having, particularly their civil issues, should be settled and could be settled amongst God's people. And here's what we see right, right off the bat, is that grievances between Christians 
Grievances between Christians are, are not unique, but how we respond to them should be. That we're going to have issues with one another. That's a given. It, it's going to come. That's, that's not the unique thing. But what should be unique is how we resolve them and walk through them. They should, that we should look different in doing so. And in verse 2, Paul now goes and tells them, hey, here's why you're capable, why you should be capable of handling these issues amongst one another. He says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels how much more than matters pertaining to this life? Paul just doesn't even go to the small talk. He hits the fast forward button and he goes basically to the end of age, to the final judgment on the world. He puts all his cards on the table. Listen, I'm not even gonna beat around the bush here. He says, listen, here's the deal. Do you know that one day Christians are going to rule and reign with Jesus Christ? And he says, in some sense, do you know we're gonna judge the world one day and even judge angels? Scriptures talk about this from Old Testament to New. In the Old Testament, in Daniel chapter 7, it says, Judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says, If we endure, we will also reign with him, speaking of Jesus there. And in Jude, verse 14, it says, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all. Listen, here's the deal. This is what Paul was getting at. That if... One day, Christians will be the judges and the rulers over billions of physical and even spiritual beings and rule all of creation with Jesus. If that's our destiny, if that's who we are in Christ, and, and if you're, we're living with God's word in our hands and his spirit inside of us, Paul is saying then Christians should be fully capable to judge and settle these disputes amongst one another in this life right now. I love how Andrew, one of our guys on staff in Lewis Center, put this. He says it like this. He said, our identity in Christ should determine our actions. That our identity in Christ should determine our actions. I think this is a great time to maybe pause for a minute and talk about our identity in Christ. Because the origin story for every Christian's identity is this, is that God created the world. God created mankind. Adam and Eve sinned and sin entered the world and it broke perfect fellowship with, with God and it separated us from God. And, but God in his great love and his mercy, he sends his son, his perfect son, Jesus Christ to come to this, this earth and Jesus takes on himself the consequences for our sin and Jesus makes a way to repair the broken, damaged relationship that sin brought um, in, in, with us between us and God, and he did this through the cross. But not only that, Jesus gives victory through his resurrection over Satan, sin, and death, and he now makes a way to reconcile our relationship with God. So here's what that means for a Christian. When God looks at, at you as a follower and a believer of Jesus Christ, he no longer sees a sinner. He no longer sees your brokenness, he no longer sees your, the, the past hurt and the dirtiness of, of your life. It means you have a new identity, one where, where God sees you and, and a Christian in, sees you in Christ. He sees you washed as, as white as snow, a new creation. He sees you justified, as we sang about, just as if I'd never sinned. He sees you as a son, and he sees you as a daughter. He sees you as a joint heir with Jesus. 
And in this new identity, as a follower of Jesus, it doesn't matter anymore how successful you are on this earth. It doesn't matter anymore your social media followers. It doesn't matter what your job title is or, or how great your kids are at academics or in, in sports. What it means now in Christ, this new identity for a Christian means that God loves you every day and it has nothing to do with your performance. Each day is a day where God sees you as his child, kind of like we, where we wrapped up last week. That, that as a child of God, you're fully forgiven, you're fully accepted, you're fully loved, and you're fully included. Paul is, is doing everything he can to draw these Christians in Corinth to see these truths, to, to direct them back to their identity in Christ, and, and to, to let them know your identity in Christ should now drive and determine how you act. And so Paul says in verse 4, if you have such cases... Why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? Paul is telling these Corinthians, hey, when you have these issues, specifically as it relates between believer and believer, Christian and, and, and Christian, that you shouldn't bring them in front of, of a non-Christian court to decide what should be done for you. It would be like this, and it, it would be like us going to Las Vegas to give them, have them give us a ruling on sexual morality. It would be like us going over to China for a ruling on, on justice in our lives or Iran for a ruling on, on grace. Paul's saying, listen, it's absurd that a Christian would go to look outside the church and outside of God's word to handle matters of relationships between believers. And here's what we see is that we need to be really careful. We need to be careful to go bowing down to the world's systems outside of the church for guidance inside of the church. And we gotta be really careful to go to the world system outside of the church for guidance inside of the church. Because here's what these believers in Corinth were demonstrating by doing so. They were saying, hey, we believe the norms of culture are more powerful for us than the teachings and the power of Jesus Christ. That's what they were doing. It's an important thing to remember that, that there's no law apart from God, right? That that the moral law doesn't come without a moral law giver. And these Corinthians who claim to have a personal relationship with the moral law giver God himself were now going to those outside of the church, to those who didn't even believe in a moral law giver. It was crazy. It was, it was crazy. And so here's the deal as we kind of walk through this. I, I would dare say that most of us in this room today your next seven days does not involve a civil court case with another believer. That, that's my hunch. My hunch is nobody's going to court this week, okay? So you're like, so you're telling us all this, what does it matter? Well, here's the deal. Here's where it really kind of cuts to our, our, our heart. Christians still do this all the time. And here's how we do this, right? How many times do Christians go take to Facebook, to Instagram, to Twitter, do we go and run and find our non-Christian friends, coworkers, neighbors, or family members? And as soon as we find them, we go air all of our issues with other brothers and sisters in Christ out in the open air for everyone to hear, right? That when, when, when Christians take our relational issues between our brother and our sister in Christ, and we do that, man, it's just shouting to the world in the open air. It's shouting and it's bringing them before people who don't even acknowledge 
or believe in Jesus Christ. And when we do that, here's what we do, we're doing, and we, we don't even realize it. This is where we're really like those in Corinth. When we put all of our stuff out there like that, we're seeking advice and we're seeking counsel. We're seeking affirmation for our actions. We're seeking approval from the world and others who don't know God to tell us we're right, to tell us we won an argument from those that don't even, don't even adhere to God, know him, or follow his word. And what Paul is saying to those in Corinth and what he's saying to us is that should not be so. He's saying, stop it. He's saying, knock it off. Because when you do that, it's an error in your identity and it's an error in your action. And he's so fired up that in verse five, he, he just says, I'm saying all this to your shame. He says, can it be that there's not one person wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? But no, brothers go to law against brothers and before unbelievers. See, if we were to flip back a few pages, what we'd find out is these, these Corinthian Christians, they, they were all puffed up about how wise they were and how spiritually mature they, they were. However, Paul's saying, you know what? I don't care what you say. Here's what your actions are telling me. Your actions are telling me that there's not a single wise person among you, that you're, you're spiritually unwise in what you're doing right now. And so Paul says, I say this to your shame. He seeks to humble them by pointing out their sin and their shame. Because here's the deal. There's at times, not all the time, but there comes times when the pride of the proud is so great that only shame and humiliation will bring them back to repentance and a right relationship with God. We can go through all the scriptures, but there's plenty that say, be not wise in your own eyes, right? Be not wise in your own eyes. In Proverbs it says, there's more hope for a fool than there is for someone who thinks they're wise in their own eyes. And Paul here, he's calling out the Corinthians' pride and sin, and then he brings everything to a close in the last two verses and he says, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. He says, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Paul goes, listen, this whole ordeal is an utter defeat. It's a complete loss. It's a disaster. That even if you go to court and you win your case, Paul says, you know what? You still lose. Because when these things hash out this way, the only one who wins is the devil. Allowing issues to pour out and over into this world, Paul is saying, it's a loss. Why is it a loss? Because it damages the name of Christ. It ruins a witness for Jesus. It degrades the importance of the church, the body of Christ. And it harms the glory of God. And it crushes the power of the gospel. It brings into question and it communicates with the world that, oh, Christians, are they really different? Are they really set apart? Are they really a new creation? Have they really put off the old and put on the new? Do they really walk in this, this Holy Spirit thing or do they walk in their, their flesh, right? And really those are kind of church descriptions. The world would put it differently than that. But listen, we've seen it too often. Sadly, we've seen it too often. Here's the deal, right? Do you know what everybody forgets? Everybody quickly forgets the issue that Christians have between each other. But what they remember and what they take with them is this. Told you those Christians were a fraud. Told you they were hypocrites. Told you that gospel thing, Jesus, God, whatever, it's a joke. And so when that happens, this is why Paul says this. He says, you know what's better? 
you know what's better than all that happening? He says, it's better for you to be wronged. He says, it's better for you just, just be defrauded. It's better for you just suffer your loss. It's so much better to do that. Just if it'd be than airing all that dirty stuff, it's better for you to, to just be wronged and suffer loss if it brings glory to God, if it advances God's kingdom, if, if it provides gospel conversation, if it furthers the mission of Jesus. And if you think like, well, dude, you're crazy up there talking like this. This is, this is insane. Isn't this what Jesus did for us? Right, Jesus, the perfect son of God, he was cheated, he was lied about, he was wronged, he suffered, he gave up his rights, he left equality with God, and he emptied himself. He took our place so that you and I might be saved so that we could have a new identity. This is the mindset that Philippians 2 tells us that Christ had as he came to this earth. And it's the mindset that we're supposed to have as we continue to live on this earth. What we see here is that, that our need to be right cannot supersede the gospel mission. That our need to be right cannot supersede the gospel mission. That, that when, when issues arise, here's what we have. We actually have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to communicate something. We have an opportunity to communicate the power of the gospel the love of God, the effectiveness of the gospel in our lives, the glory of God in all situations. We have the opportunity to communicate that when grievances happen between one another. And, and as we get ready to close in just a minute or two here, you might be sitting thinking, gosh, we sure talked a lot about all of the, the bad stuff, all of the wrong stuff, like what it should not look like. So what, what are we actually supposed to do in these situations? Well, as we close, I just kind of want to give you four steps, four steps that come from, from Scripture that as disagreements happen, what would be a logical progression? And they're, they're up here on the screen. It says, number one, go to God. Always start there first. Number two, go to the person we're in disagreement with. Go to wise Christian counsel. And then join Jesus in suffering. We've got some of the Scriptures up there that pertain to those where they, where they, where they came from. And you can leave that up for a minute Go to God. Go to God, right? Everything a believer does should start with God's word and our time in, in, in prayer. That, that when these, these grievances or these issues or these conflicts come, let's go to God and, and ask him, hey, help me see the situation you see it. Help me see and understand what the right solution and resolution to this, this issue is. God, show that to me. We go to God first and then we go to the person that our goal should not be to win an argument, but, but to have resolution with a brother or sister in Christ. And we're definitely not supposed to go do it in the court of public opinion. That we're to go to our brother or sister with respect and with humility, present the issue, and figure out a God-honoring solution to it. And if that doesn't work, scriptures tell us we can go to wise Christian counsel, that we can set up a time to meet with a mentor or a pastor to give another perspective, but still work to progress and come to a resolution. And if none of that works, if none of that works, we might just need to do what Paul talks about here today in 1 Corinthians. We might just need to suffer for the sake of the gospel, the same way Jesus did for you and I. It's not about being right and it's not about winning the argument. It's about the gospel mission. And maybe we can close it just like this, just to bookend a couple things today 
and maybe save me a couple emails this week, right? Is Paul saying it's wrong to go to court? Is he saying it's wrong for you to be a lawyer? Is he saying it's wrong for you to be a judge? Not at all. Paul himself appealed to the courts at the right time and in the right place. Is Paul saying, you know what, we shouldn't see crime punished and we shouldn't see justice served and we shouldn't get to the bottom of innocence and guilty? No, he's not saying that at all. That's one bookend of what we're, we're talking about today. The other bookend is, is this. Christians have been left on this earth on purpose. There's a reason God doesn't take you and I the moment we put our faith and trust in Jesus and just, just take us to heaven, just take us off this earth. And it's because he's left us here to share the good news of Jesus Christ. He's left us here to be a lamp that shines the gospel of Jesus Christ into a dark and broken world. He's left us here to live in such a way that we reflect Christ in our lives to people who don't know him. That is what we've been left here to do. That you and I and the local church is still God's plan to reach a lost and broken world. But here's the deal. When our lives, specifically within the Christian community and the relationships we have with one another, are filled with divisiveness and division and unresolved conflict, we lose the power and the standing to impact and change the world. We lose the opportunity to reflect and show Christ in our lives. We lose sight of our identity in Christ. So as you leave today, I, I hope God is bringing to mind, maybe for some of us, that there's some things you need to do. So what is it? It's gonna be different based on each one of us. You may need to go back to maybe these four steps we talked about. You may need to actually open the Bible and go, what does God's word say about how I should resolve this, this conflict or these, this issue right now? You just may need to stop airing issues with other Christians out in the public forums and public air. You may need to give up your rights today. You may need to just stop fighting to be right and winning all the time. You may need to put on the mind of Christ. Whatever it is, Let's start to live from our identity in Jesus, remembering that we're called to be holy and set apart and different, that we're called to be, have pure hands and, and just a clean heart, right? That we're chosen, that we are ambassadors for Christ on this earth. Are we gonna do it perfectly? Absolutely not. Are, are Christians always gonna fight? You bet. But here's the deal. Let's remember and realize as we leave today, whether you're wrong or you've been wronged or you face conflict, it's always an opportunity for us to communicate and be example for Jesus Christ, not only to our brothers and sisters, but to the world around us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we walk through this series, we're gonna, we're gonna bump into some difficult answers to questions we all ask. And as we do, Lord, I pray that we would move beyond what we feel or what we think is right and we would land on what your word says is right. I pray today that for some folks, maybe healing and restoration and relationships restored would come from what we've learned today. Lord, I pray that we would we would walk forward in the power of 
of your spirit and the truth of, of your word. Lord, we, we would just see who we are in Christ. And Lord, there might be times that we just have to suffer the wrong, that we just might have to be the ones who suffer the loss. But if you get the glory, then it's totally worth it. We love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.